right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity for, for us to hear your word. I pray that your word will come forth, that your message will come forth, and pray that you will bless the hearing of it, the reading of it, and the speaking of it. I just pray that your hand will be on this whole day and give each and every one of us wisdom and direction and peace in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, today it's, it's a nice day out, so we'll talk about something a little happier, lighter, brighter, less controversial. Maybe uh, Beth Moore, gender roles in the family, workplace, and church. And if we have time, we'll get into Christmas. Um, I'm only slightly kidding. Um, but today we're talking about arguments. And it doesn't take long to look around, for those of you who have Facebook, for those of you who don't, just in society, to see people arguing about these subjects or hundreds of other subjects, and the arguments never seem to go well or end well. No one seems to gain or lose anything. One person thinks they won, the other person thinks they won. There's no, um, no purpose, no point. If there is a point, I don't know what it is. So, you know, I was realizing everybody argues, Christian, non-Christian alike, but what surprises me is not that Christians argue, it's, that, it's how we argue, how we argue amongst each other. And mainly, like I said, it's Facebook is what I see the most of, but there's a biblical way to have discussions. I think it's great when discussions can be had. I think it's great when, when iron sharpens iron. That's a great concept, a biblical concept. But most of the things that I realize, most of the things that I've seen, seems more like a pure iron breaking an impure iron. That seems to be the intention. It doesn't seem to be any sharpening involved whatsoever. In a, a couple months back is when I actually first started thinking about this, really when the whole Internet blew up with Beth Moore. And I was actually talking a little bit later to another Christian about Christmas, and I've had hundreds of conversations with people, arguments, whatever you want to call them, both of them. And I never, halfway through this argument this couple months ago, I realized that it was going the exact same way every other discussion I've had. I was coming up with, well, here's the origins. You know, this is my side of the story. This is, this is why I believe. This is, this is my arguments from my side. And they were coming up with, well, you can always take it to... This is about Jesus. You know, they, don't, they can celebrate it however they want, but we are Christians. We can celebrate it as about Jesus. And their arguments for their side. And I realized that it's not a very biblical way to discuss anything with another Christian. If the intent of an argument, if you go into an argument with, okay, God's on my side, and they're going into the argument with God's on their side, whose side is, God's on, is God on? Let's uh, turn to Joshua. Five become one of my favorite portions of Scripture here, something that I have to keep telling myself over and over when I get into these discussions. We're going to read 13 and 14. It came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went 
unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the Lord of hosts am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith the Lord to his servant? So Joshua didn't know there was a third answer to his question. He asked, Are you on their side or my side? And the angel said, No. There is no his side, their side, my side, our side. There's God's side and the devil's side. So if we go into an argument with the mindset of God's on my side, then we need to check ourselves. Because if it's a biblical matter, you know, I need to be able to go to Caleb, Mr. Martin, Mr. Lanham. I need to be able to go to these brothers and sisters in Christ. And I need to go into an argument with them, not go in to argue with them. And that's, the, and that's, where, and that's where anybody who has an idea or a conviction they believe is right, it's very difficult to put themselves in that position to where they're going in arguing with another Christian, not to argue with that Christian. Because you have a point you want to get across. You have a point that you believe they need to know, and I believe they need to know. In one of the ways, like uh, Mr. Sollinger gave me a book a few years back to read, uh, it's called Tactics by Gregory Kokel. And I don't believe, or I don't agree with everything he said. Apparently he's got some stuff out there on his radio show that's not very good. But the whole idea behind the book is how to discuss with Christians how to go into a discussion with someone and not go into an argument with someone. And one of the main ideas in the book is to go in asking questions. Go in asking somebody why they believe the way they believe because they believe that way for a reason. They didn't just, unless there's some kind of a possession involved, they didn't just pop up and say, okay, here's my conviction. Someone taught them and they went wrong somewhere in their past. You don't tell someone, you know, if you get down the wrong road a long distance, you don't, well, I'll just go through the backwoods. I think the right direction is that way. You need to go back to where you made the wrong turn and start right from there. And that's where I think we need to be able to, to work with each other because, and people need to be approachable. Us as Christians need to be approachable because I wouldn't go to Mr. Lanham and tell him, um, that I believe that the Bible says the earth is flat. I don't. But I wouldn't go to him and say that if I thought that Mr. Lanham was just going to look at me and say, well, you're pretty ignorant. Or if he just said, well, and he named off a verse or two that said it the other way around and never asked why I thought that. Because I believe that for a reason. If I think he's going to come and say, okay, well, well, where in the Bible does it say that? And he's going to walk me through it and help me to find the truth, then I'm going to want to go to Mr. Lanham. Even if I think he's going to disagree with me. I'm going to want to go to anyone who's going to treat me that way. Because I can't start, like I said, I can't start from a mile down the road and just go through the back roads to get to where I'm supposed to be. Because I'm also going to miss part of the journey, starting back from where the right turn was. So one of the things is we need to be willing to concede, not when, or not if, but when we're wrong. Because if we are 100% right, then we're infallible. Like Caleb said last week, there's several things, he didn't say several, but there's some things that he may not be 100% correct on. And he would want us to come to him with those 
things. He wouldn't want us to throw those things in his face. He wants us to come to him and talk to him about it, why we believe the way we believe, and go back and forth. So today we're going to go through a, a short study on how to handle these situations, because there's a right way and a wrong way with everything else. And go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4. I apologize up front. Every single time it seems I get up here, it seems more like a class than a sermon, but God shows me things that that I struggle with, and He shows me things that I need to deal with, and I just kind of take you guys along the path He took me along. And it's definitely a teaching, it's a class for me. So, read... uh, We're going to start there in 14. So, being willing to change our convictions, 4.14. Does that mean we're supposed to jump around from conviction to conviction every single time a good argument comes up? This is 14 there. It says, that henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So, absolutely not. That's a... Turn over to Titus 1.9 real quick. There might be a little bit of jumping around today. This verse in context is actually talking about the qualifications of a bishop, but it is not, doesn't say anywhere in here that only a bishop should meet these qualifications. It just says you're not eligible if you don't. I think we should all be striving to be as usable to God as possible. So it says, holding fast, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Now, I hope no one would go in here, no one here would go into a conversation with someone and shove something down someone's throat if they didn't believe it wholeheartedly. But there is going to be the times, like I mentioned, that we're going to be wrong. We're human. We're learning. But, you know, I never realized, I've always, I mean, I've read... Exhort is in the Bible over and over and over, and I've always thought that as kind of a, of a scolding. I never looked up the definition of the word, but the word is defined as to encourage. So it doesn't say that we're supposed to be strong in our beliefs and sound in our doctrine to encourage those who agree with us. It says we're supposed to be able to encourage and convince gainsayers. Not just someone who disagrees with a gainsayer is just a disagreeable person, an opposer. Our goal is to be sound in our faith so we can encourage people who want to discourage us. And we'll come back to this here in just a little bit. So let's, uh, let's go to Ephesians, back to Ephesians 4, and we're going to go to 25. In a lot of these cases, if you just keep on reading on where I stop then I wouldn't need to preach the rest of the sermon, but don't do that. So, we're going to 25 and 26. It says, Wherefore, put away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So this is actually talking about the body itself. We are not members with the world. It says, Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So, Once again, absolutely not. We're not supposed to just, uh, not supposed to not be angry. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to lose our temper. But we are supposed to be angry in a righteous way. 
It doesn't say not to be angry. It's actually a commandment to be angry. And if we aren't angry enough that someone has been deceived by the devil, we may not have enough energy, work up enough gumption to go and and fight with them to get that truth back. Anger is, you know, God is angry several times throughout the Bible. And he was never angry just because he wanted to destroy everyone. He was angry because people were going the wrong way. So, someone being deceived is absolutely something to be angry about if, to put this in a, in a natural term, if someone's car was stolen and they came to you and said, yeah, my car was stolen. And you said, well, you know, what are you going to do to get back? It wasn't really that valuable. I didn't need it. We wouldn't berate them for getting their car stolen. We would be angry at the thief. We might be angry at them or frustrated with them for not wanting to get it back, but we wouldn't be angry. We wouldn't be calling them names. We wouldn't be attacking them in a conversation because we all know people who one time you see them, they have their convictions. They're just nailed down, buttoned down. Man, I wish I could be like that. I wish I had that confidence. The next time you see them, they don't really have those convictions. And you talk to them about it. Well, I guess I was probably wrong. You know, it was, maybe I was going a little overboard. They don't value those things. And it's not usually the people who have that. They, they're out there. They're prime targets for the devil. They're, what, they're the people who are going to get attacked the most. So they have a higher chance of losing their convictions and end up worse than, than where they started. But when it comes to spiritual situations, me especially, I'm sure other people have struggled. I hope other people have struggled with it. Otherwise, I'm in worse shape than I thought I was. But usually when someone says, or I hear about these situations, it hurts my feelings. It does. I'm like, Man, I really wish that, I wish that didn't turn out that way for them. I hope, I hope that all works out. But I, there's, no, there's no anger. I'm just disappointed. I don't go to them and help them through this. I don't, you know, I might ask them why, but I need, we all need to be able to be angry enough to go to war with these people. Not go to war with them, but go to war along with them. So, I talked to Monday night group. We used to have Monday night groups a while back about that being angry. Let's go ahead and turn to Numbers 25. I couldn't quite understand the whole being angry and not sinning. Now in context here, the Israelites had fallen away from God, were falling away from God. They were... Uh, Went past it. They were going after Midianitish women, serving the Moabite gods. And I bet that they had the same arguments then as people do now. I bet that they said, well, you know, if God didn't want us to have these Midianitish women as wives, they wouldn't have made, he wouldn't have made them so attractive. Or, in the New Testament, it says that we know that the idols are nothing. 
we know someone had a scrap piece of wood from a project and they just carved something up and it's not going to affect us if we walk by it. Someone touches it and, you know, it's... And I bet they said, you know, they're, they're not gods. We know our God's the only God, so what's the matter if we bow down to them? Same arguments. The devil uses the same arguments over and over and over again because we keep falling for them. So let's start there in one. It says, In Israel abode in, in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredoms with the daughter of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods. And the people eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal-peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take the heads of all the people of Israel, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun. And the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay every one his men that were joined to Baal-peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And it goes on to say that Phinehas, after he had calmed down later, went to the guy's house and talked to him, said that he really hurt his feelings, what he had done, and he really hoped that he would stop doing it. It actually doesn't say that. But, start back there in 7. It says, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, rose up from among the congregation, and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent, and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through the belly. So the plague was stayed from Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty-four thousand. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned away my wrath from the children of Israel. While he was zealous for my name's sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it. His seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. So, that was pretty extreme. And I'm not saying we take a spear into every argument we have. If it don't go our way, handle it that way. But I think, and I know, that removing someone from church or removing someone from the appearance of being part of a church is the exact same thing. In uh, 1 Corinthians, it says that they removed someone who had sin and error in his life so that his flesh would be destroyed. They were hoping that the devil would just attack him so that his spirit could be saved. And if it wasn't for the fact that Phinehas was angry for God, he was jealous, all of Israel may have been wiped out. God, on several occasions, asked Moses, says, hey, step away, I'm going to just destroy him. But Phinehas showed because Phinehas was going to be a leader. He was going to lead their people spiritually. And Phinehas showed, you know, I'm, I'm willing to step out in front of everyone. And I bet no one fell asleep in any of his sermons either. But let's turn back to, to Titus 1.9. Go a little deeper into this.
So it says there, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. And continue on in 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers, deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching them which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. One of them, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables, commandments of men, and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So the, the whole world right now is turning from the truth. The whole world and the church has been turning from the truth for years. But very few people have prepared themselves to rebuke someone in this way. There's very few people who take it seriously. I know we are jumping around, but if you can turn to Matthew 7... If you don't want to turn, I'll read it. The first four verses here are some of the world's favorite verses. And they wouldn't be if they kept on reading or if they truly understood them. So this is, Judge not that ye be not judged. Has anyone here ever had someone say, Don't judge me? I have. I think I've said it. But, for that, with judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, and not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, and behold, the beam is in your eye. So, the Bible or the world would say the Bible says, I can't say anything to someone because I'm not perfect. I can't judge anyone because I'm not perfect. One, it doesn't say that. First thing to think about here is it doesn't mention anything except for the eyes. I never thought about that until going through this. It doesn't say, all it says here is if you have something in your eye, don't go and berate someone on a subject you don't have figured out. What What I think and I believe it means here is if you have a beam in your eye and someone else has a broken leg, you go to them and ask them for help with the beam so you can help them with the broken leg. It doesn't say keep your mouth shut if you're not perfect. If you can't help me with my weaknesses because you have a weakness and I can't help you with yours because I have a weakness, then we'll both just keep our weaknesses and we'll both just keep what we are strong in. There won't be any growth. So, If you continue on reading there in 5, what does it say you're supposed to do? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and thou shalt clearly see to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. So it says, you got a problem. But your brother does too. So we need to fix our problems so we can help our brothers and sisters. Because if we don't take out the moat, they won't take out the speck. So it says to speak sharply. But that is not the only way. If we turn to Proverbs 
15. You know, everybody has the truth within them, but or everybody has the, the who knows the word of God has the truth, and they can speak the truth. But only someone who has the truth within them can speak the truth without shame. And I think in a lot of these arguments, it's shame that wells up, but that's why people get angry. Because they want to be right on something. Because they know they're wrong on something else. They're in 15... Very first one, it says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So once again, if you start off the conversation sharply, it's not going to end well. It's where most of the arguments I see start from. Somebody will say something, somebody else will disagree with it. And what this is where it actually surprised me is I would see later on, a day later, somebody who knew that something they were going to say was going to anger somebody else, they would find something worse, something more just in your face, and post that just to see what, some, what that person would say. And I was on, when I was on vacation, um, I'd get on Facebook, and there was, there was some conversations going on that were really humorous, in the sense that neither one of them it was actually about feminism and non-feminism, but neither one of them would say that feminist was right. But one of them would say that masculinity wasn't everything it was, you know, cracked up to be. So they they weren't a feminist, but they agreed with most everything the feminist said. So then from there on, the rest of the week, I, you'd tune in and and see the drama play out between Christians. And there was no, there was nothing ventured, nothing gained, because the conversation is still going on today. But there is a difference between, like I said, answering sharply and answering, answering softly. Jesus called people you know, sons of the devil. John the Baptist called people brood vipers. And there were, there's name calling by Christians, by Jesus, throughout the Bible, but that wasn't, from what I could tell, that wasn't the beginning of the conversation. He didn't just walk into someone's house and call them a name. He knew who he was dealing with because he'd had past experiences with them. And that's one thing that we have to, in the beginning of our conversation, is, you know, if someone is intentionally deceiving others, then there's a sharp answer that needs to be brought forth. There's no softly answering back. In the beginning of a conversation, if we can ask ourselves, am I talking to a deceiving person or a deceived person? That may change how we enter that conversation and how we continue in that conversation. Because if I'm talking to a deceived person, then I need to be helping them. I need to be encouraging them. I need to be supporting them. Not supporting them in their their belief, but... If I attack a deceived person, they're not going to be coming after me for help. So, also, the, uh, whether the name-calling. When Jesus called people names and 
Um, John the Baptist called people names. He called it to their face. And he said it in public. He wasn't afraid to call some call a deceiver a deceiver in public. But when someone was deceived, it was a more private matter. Because the purpose wasn't to embarrass them. The purpose wasn't to hurt them. If someone is deceived, you need to come out and say, Hey, this person is a deceiver. This person is twisting the words to yours and their hurt. Um, this person's a viper. And this person is a serpent, a snake, deceiver. Absolutely. Now that may seem harsh, but it's important that the world knows that person isn't part of the body of Christ. And, like I said, this may seem harsh, but there are people who are on the vine that are not connected to the vine. There are people who are intentionally deceiving people for, it says there in Titus, for their own filthy desires. They're just a bug, a blight that's landed there because it's convenient because what they feed off of is the body of Christ. That's what it says. They're devouring the body of Christ. They're devouring whole houses just for their own desires. I think the main issue, there's two main issues from my point of view with the church today. As a whole, Christians are too afraid to stand up and speak sharply to a deceiver. And two, Christians are too eager to speak sharply to someone who's deceived. And you get all these fights. There's people, like I said in the beginning, these people on Facebook, I see people, Christians, fighting over some big, some small issues, but they're fighting them, each other. They're, neither one of them are working towards anything. In Part of the problem is we answer in kind. Now, if a deceiving person comes and talks to you, there's very... Usually they're going to speak softly. They're going to speak convincingly because there's no emotional bond to what they're telling you. Whatever you disagree with, you're not disagreeing with something they believe is truth. You're disagreeing with something they want you to believe is truth. So they're going to speak softly to you because they're trying to get you on their side. And we'll answer in kind. No one wants to talk back rude to someone who is just talking peaceably with them. But talking peaceably doesn't mean you're not being deceiving. But a person who's deceived is going to be extremely emotional because what you're challenging is who they are. What you're challenging is you know, what they believe is who they are. That might sound a little new age, the whole uh, what you think you are, you are. But it's, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a whole lot of truth to that because the church, I think it was, uh, I forget what big evangelist out there, his main sermon or his main speech right now is if you can love yourself, then you can be happy. And that is horrible. But if, you, if, this, if someone is unhappy and he can convince them that if they love themselves, they'll be happy... And then you come in and say, no, you're not really happy. You're deceiving yourself. You have to deny yourself. 
and love Jesus, and then you can be happy. You are destroying their foundation. That is what they've built. They don't have any, most of these people, some of them aren't, are saved, but they don't have any truth. They don't have any life in them to give them joy. All they have is a pep talk. All they have is a motivational speaker. And I don't know that this guy's not saved, but I know that he's not preaching correct. So if you tell someone everything you've based your happiness on is false, then they're going to reply unhappily. So let's turn to uh, 1 Peter 3. Nine. Got a little worried when I was going through back through my sermon. I had it as four and nine. I was beginning to think I had made something up that wasn't in the Bible. So Now I'm in 2 Peter. I was worried again. All right. All right. This is not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are there called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So it's clear we shouldn't be basing our conversation and the tone of the conversation based on the other person's inflection. It doesn't matter what the other person is saying to you. It's still a hard issue. If someone is coming at you softly and telling you that Jesus isn't the only way, it doesn't matter how softly they are, they are a liar. They are very, very kindly and politely trying to take you to hell with them. So, let's recap real quick. We're supposed to be strong in our beliefs, not change every time a convincing argument comes up. Just to make sure everybody's confused, we're also supposed to be able to change our beliefs if a conviction comes up that we're wrong on. We're supposed to answer sharply and we're supposed to answer softly. Let's turn to Proverbs 26. There's a, a better recap. Start in four. It says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. Five. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. That should clear everything up. That is extremely confusing in just the words themselves. Because he said the same thing twice, just with a different ending. If someone is answering out of deceit, you don't answer them with deceit. You shouldn't use your own words. You shouldn't use your own um, convincing arguments. You answer them the exact opposite. You answer a deceiving person with truth, or a deceived person with truth. But you... Don't answer a soft-speaking, deceiving person like he's your best friend. 
continue reading in 6 there. It says, He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. So it doesn't matter what message you send. If it's sent foolishly or by a foolish person, you're taking the legs out from underneath your argument. It doesn't matter what the message is. It has no feet. has no basis. So it says, The legs of the lame are not equal, so the parable in the mouth of fools... So is the parable in the mouth of fools. You ever had two people come and tell you the exact same thing and you understood one of them and the other one made no sense? The exact same message right here. Two people. One's a fool and one isn't. In 8, He that bindeth a stone in in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. And this is where it gets difficult because if you if there's someone you agree with but you know they have a tendency of doing foolish things saying foolish things on Facebook in society if you agree with them publicly then it's like you loading their sling you're not throwing the stones you're not giving them the words you're just you're just giving them what they need, you're giving them what they need to continue on with their foolishness. And the person that gets hit thinks you're just as responsible as the person who threw the stone. In 9, it says, As a thorn goeth up into the hand of a drunkard, so is the parable in the mouth of fools. So, you go out and send a message foolishly, or by a foolish person, someone in a very, very good mental picture about someone who's been deceived is someone who's just drunk, crawling around on their hands and knees, just looking for a way home. But it doesn't matter what the message is. If you come about it the wrong way, all it, is, all it does is take one of their hands away. All it does is, is injure them and make, make it more difficult for them to get to where they need to be. Let's turn to Proverbs 27, 14. On the same page here for me. So if you think about somebody drunk, passed out on the side of the street, you wouldn't go up to that person, splash water at them, scream in their face and say, you're going to hell. Because they're going to wake up and think you're a nut. They're going to wake up and just, I want to get as far away from this person as possible. And that is exactly what it's like when you go to someone and speak sharply or speak. It's not, some of the stuff isn't sharp. It's just you can tell what the intent is. But it says that if he rises up or blesses his friend with a loud voice, Rising up early in the morning, it should be counted a curse to him. And I know some of the street preachers are, are, are fine. I know street preaching is, is a great way to reach people. But if all you're doing is screaming at people who don't know, they don't know the truth. Just like scolding a kid the first time they do something, if you tell them the right thing, and then they learn, and the next time around, 
okay, you can handle it differently. But the first time someone hears the truth shouldn't be out of anger. It shouldn't be out of a loud voice snapping, trying to snap them out of it. Because it won't. So, let's see. Yeah. This is... I heard a story. And this is a... Uh, good example of, of a good message in the mouth of a fool and it still has, it's frustrating me right now but there, there's nothing besides salvation there is no greater message than healing you know that, that is you know, God created our bodies he doesn't want us to be injured he doesn't want us to be in any way ailed but I heard a story about a healing ministry they went through their show or whatever it was they did. And at the end, they said, anybody who wants to be healed, bring your donation up front, and we'll pray for you to be healed. And then, they, oh, wait a minute, and the donation amount is $3,000. And people started going up. And a lady went up front and came back crying. She took her checkbook, and they asked one of the people there, that told the story, they said, well, what's, what's wrong? And they said, well, I didn't have enough. And they said, she said, I'll just give you what I got. And he said, well, just go on back and come back when you have enough and we'll pray for you to be healed. That is disgusting. That is where anger, righteous anger comes in. That's where you and that person is going to burn in hell if they don't turn. And that's, as harsh as it is, that is the truth. And they, I know we all deserve it, but they deserve it. But that broken lady, they're both involved in the exact same deceit. But that broken lady doesn't deserve that anger. The anger that, that I don't know how to describe it, but it makes you think unchristian thoughts about what to do to that person. That person is... How many people there saw that and will never enter a church ever again? I don't know how to describe, I don't know how to actually say it. I don't know if you, I would think that would be a public situation where you would stand up and I don't care if I have a mic, this person needs to be told in front of everybody. And I hope I didn't hear what happened to the lady. I would hope that somebody took her aside and helped her. Somebody took her aside and prayed for her. Somebody took her aside and said, this is not. I don't know what you came here to get, but you didn't receive Christ. You didn't receive truth. This, was, this is a deceit. Whew. All right, so let's, uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians. The uh, this verse pretty much sums up, or this chapter pretty much sums up everything I've talked about. This is actually one of the chapters I was talking about that you could just have read through, and it answers everything and says everything I said in the sermon. But 
We're going to go there to 10. Um, before we go to that, I think there's one thing I haven't, I don't know if I've got this, made this point. But the majority of what bugs me is the appearance of the Christian to Christian. The, you know, if you're talking to a Christian on Facebook, if you're, I mean, I'm sure you can message privately, but when Peter, when it said Peter withstood, or Paul withstood Peter to his face, I'm assuming it was private. It could have been in front of the small group that was there. It doesn't say he took him out in the public square and humiliated him. Because the whole point wasn't to humiliate him. Because people are watching. Everybody's watching. You know, I heard, uh, I'm sure everybody knows who Joe DiMaggio is. When he got older, he had a really bad foot problem that hurt him when he'd move around. And it was the end of one of his seasons. The season was set. The division was set. Didn't matter if they won or lost the game. And he was running around trying to make plays like the season depended on it, despite the pain it was causing him. And one of his teammates came over, because they could see the pain he was in, and said, what are you doing? What are you? you have nothing to prove. And he said, I don't have anything to prove to you. He said, but what if somebody is here for the first and last time? Today is the only chance I get to make an impression on that person of who I am. In the, I'm sure everybody's heard the saying, you might be the only Christian someone ever met. What if your conversation or our conversation is the only conversation anyone gets to see between two Christians? So uh, let's go ahead and read there in one. This is now I, Paul, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence, who in presence am base among you, being absent, I am bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, that, with that, or when I'm present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of me as though we walked according to the flesh. So he says that I'm being bold. I may be starting to speak, that what I'm getting ready to say, I'm saying out of gentleness. It may be sharp, but I don't want to be sharp when I'm talking to you in person. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For our weapons are warfare not, of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It says, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him think this again as he is Christ's, so are we. That's what I was saying there in the beginning. We're not fighting against our brothers and sisters. As, you know, the, there was a head covering thing going on, and I don't know if it was you or your wife. But one of them posted something, and it was really good. It wasn't an attack. Basically said, well, I don't understand what you're saying. Could you explain it? I, I, I took it this way. And there was a nice conversation, and it ended with, well, thank you for clearing that up. 
And then if you keep on reading, you see everybody else fighting. But <laughs> that part was good. And that's, that is the thing. You know, we're, we are Christ's. Bible, uh, I don't even remember what verse it is. But when Jesus prayed before he left, before he ascended, he said, God, he said, Father, I pray that they are one just as we are. And Jesus asked God questions. He said, hey, if, if you can take this from me, take it. It didn't mean that he couldn't have discussions. It didn't mean they couldn't disagree. I don't think they disagreed, but Jesus would rather not have had to suffer. But he was willing. So let's continue on in 8. It says, For though I should boast somewhat more of the authority which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction... I should not be ashamed, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by the letters. For, this, for his letters say they are weighty, weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. He says, Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word, by letter, when we are present, such as we will be indeed. So he says, Okay, if, if you're not going to listen... I'll speak just as sharply when I get there as I am in these letters. It says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number that compare ourselves or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but, by, but they measuring themselves by themselves compare themselves among themselves. They're not wise. And that's what we get into when we say, well, I know I'm right because I've looked at this. I know I'm right because I feel I'm right. If that was the only thing we needed, then there would never be in the Bible iron sharpens iron. That would, there's no need for that, that point. You could never compare yourselves by yourself in anything, much less a biblical argument. It's, but we will not boast of things without measure, but according to the measure of the rule of God, Hath distributed to the rule which God hath distributed to us a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond measure as though we reached not unto you. For we are come as far as to you in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to the rule abundantly to preach the gospel in regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in God. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So, this whole, like I said, that whole chapter there is, is this sermon. Paul came in gentleness. He spoke boldly. He spoke softly. He told the people who were deceiving people. He didn't say, kick them out of the church. He just said, hey, I'm talking to you. I don't, he didn't want them to go to hell any more than he wanted someone else to go to hell. The whole purpose behind a righteous anger is not, okay, that person, I don't want to see them in heaven. 
the whole purpose behind these discussions that he's just you know I want to I want to glory in your all salvation. So I want to be able to go and preach beyond you guys and then you past your all's church. I want to go there and say, hey, they got saved. That's where the glory was. The glory wasn't in him winning. He didn't care that his speech was contemptible. He didn't care that he didn't have the cunning arguments that they had. His goal and his joy was in them finding the salvation and them finding the truth, not in them treating him a certain way or not in them saying something bad about him in public. I don't know how the message gets out farther because most people will say, most people who, who only preach sharply will say, well, Jesus spoke sharply. And most people who only speak softly say, well, Jesus spoke softly. There is a time and a place for everything. And um, I pray that I can be a better example. I've actually just kind of pulled back. I haven't said anything in... I don't want to agree with one person and then see what they posted the next day. I'm sure there's a way. Maybe it's all just in person, like I was saying, you withstand them, talk to them to their face. Because anything you say on that's posted out there forever can be twisted. Even if it's not twisted, it can just be used as encouragement to somebody else or, or as support just for somebody else. But I pray that, that God has given each and every one of us something out of this. And that's all I got. So we'll go ahead and pray. Father, I, I thank you for this sermon. I thank you for, for teaching me. I thank you for working on my heart to, to help me through these things. I pray that you will work on each and every person here. I pray that you will bless this day and the, the, the food that is prepared and the hands that prepared it, the fellowship that we have over it. And just pray that you'll give each and every one of us wisdom on how to handle these situations as the situation comes and that you will help us to glorify your name, to promote your image as we are supposed to. Help us to be one with each other. Help us to encourage each other and just pray that you'll give us the strength to do so as well. In Jesus' name, amen.